0: You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over King.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House
2: of Cards. Today the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams.
3: Okay, you have some skin.
4: Hello, everyone. Welcome to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. We have a great hour for you. I got to tell you a quick story. This is not our normal format, but on my drive over here, I got a call from my wife haranguing me, yelling at me for not giving her our tax information in a timely way. And uh, I got furious, yelling at each other, cursing at each other, hung up the phone. And as Penance, I have a show that at least the first interview is dedicated to all of you poker players and other gamblers who want to make sure you are doing your taxes correctly, especially when it comes to paying taxes on gambling and other gambling income. We have a guy who is an expert in this, a lawyer, Stephen Fishman. He's written books, lots of books, especially his most recent one, all in against the IRS, every gambler's tax guide. He's a very interesting guy. We're going to talk to him. And then we have the man who spells summer for me. His name is Seth Polansky. He's been one of our most frequent guests. He is the guy that tells us all about the schedule for this year's World Series of Poker at the Rio in Las Vegas. And every time I hear him, the snow melts, the sky clears, and I am transported to one of my favorite places in the world which is the Rio during the World Series of Poker. So we're going to talk to Seth Polanski. so stay tuned, we will be right back. <laughs> Here's how. Use offer code HOCRADIO, that's HOCRADIO, when you check out at ProCaliber.com or when ordering by phone at 24025-POKER, 24025-POKER, that's 240-257-6537. ProCaliber Poker Tables, stop playing around and get that
5: table you've been looking for. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards. Man, is it cold out, but that's not going to stop me from having fun and winning some cash on nj.partypoker.com. Why would you want to get in your car and drive to Atlantic City or Pennsylvania, pay for gas, pay for parking, fight the crowds, when you can play the same games at home? If you're 21 and in New Jersey, go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up using the promo code HOC. Start playing and start winning some cash. It's that easy. Go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up today with promo code HOC.
2: This This is is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards.
4: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We like to do a public service every so often, Uh, And around tax time, we like to have people who are experts in tax law, especially those who know something about gambling tax law. We have now somebody who knows both. He is a small business tax expert. He's written books. He's written articles, a lot of articles. Uh, He's consulted, and he also has, among many other things, an expertise in gambling tax law. His name is Stephen Fishman, and he's with us now to answer all My Gambling Tax Questions in honor of April 15th. Stephen, are you there? Yes, I am. Terrific. So, um, you want to give 30 seconds to a minute of your credentials so our audience knows of that you know of what you speak.
0: I'm a lawyer, admitted to the bar in California. I'm, I specialize in tax and small business. I'm, I've written about 20 books over the last 25 years. Uh, primarily on tax and small business issues, and among them is my book, All and Against the IRS, Every Gambler's Tax Guide.
4: Terrific. I have that sitting in front of me. Um, I'm going to ask some questions. I know the answers to some of this stuff, but I want our listeners to hear it and hear your thinking on it. First of all, uh, I play poker a lot. I'm in casinos a lot. I meet a lot of people who have a lot of what I consider to be completely wrong-headed ideas about gambling. First of all, they say, Oh, well, you don't have to pay taxes on that. They don't withhold anything from it. If I win thousands and thousands of dollars a year, do I have to pay taxes on it? Yes, you do. (laughs) How much do Uh, I have to pay? Is there a percentage? Is it like regular income? Is it taxed in some different way?
0: It's added to all your other income, and you pay your regular income tax on it.
4: So if I win, let's say I'm playing in one session at, uh, you're out in California, I'm playing at the Commerce Club, and I have a fantastic session at 2-5 Hold'em, and I win $17,000 one night, can I deduct the $10,000 I lost the day before, or do I have to just pay taxes on my winnings without offsetting them with my losses?
0: You can offset them. You do this, of course, when you file your tax return. You add up all your winnings for the year, and you list your total winnings on your tax return, and you list your losses up to the amount of your your winnings as a deduction, and you get to deduct up to the amount of your winnings, up to the amount of your losses, uh, you can deduct up to the amount of your total winnings.
4: So if I were were to... This
0: is if you're a recreational gambler, not a professional gambler. So
4: if I am a recreational gambler, I imagine the easiest way to demonstrate what my wins and losses are, are to keep a daily or at least a per session accounting of ups and downs, and then at the end of the year, if I have a number that is the addition and subtraction of all my sessions. If it's a positive number, I have to declare it. If it's a negative, I can't deduct it from my regular earnings in my day job, right?
0: Right. You're supposed to keep track of what the IRS. would like you to do is keep track of all your winnings and losses per session, per gambling session. And there's a, a definition of what a gambling session is. It may not be what most people imagine it is. It's says it's a, the way I define a gambling session is as long as you gamble a single type of game until you before you cash out, but it can't last longer than a single day, although a poker tournament, an entire poker tournament, can be considered a single gambling session. I see. You keep track of every gambling session you have during the year, and you add up all your winning sessions, and that's your total gambling winnings for the year. And you list your total winnings on your tax return as part of your other income on your tax return, you don't deduct anything yet. Then you add up all your losing sessions, and if you itemize your deductions on Schedule A, you can list all your your losses up to the amount of your winnings and deduct those as an itemized deduction. So then end up you'll end up if your if your lose losses are equal to or greater than your winnings, you will pay no end up paying no taxes on your winnings.
4: Okay, so well, let- most
0: people don't. What most people do, which is wrong, is they figure, well, I I lost more than I won during the year, so I don't have to report anything on my return, and that is not the way it's supposed to work.
4: Right. You add up your winning sessions, you put the number down, then you add up your losing sessions, and you can subtract it up to the amount of your winning sessions, and you pay taxes on the difference if there is any difference.
0: If your losses are less than your winnings, then you will have to pay tax on the amount uh, that's left over.
4: Right. And it's considered regular income. Now, what about, I do meet a lot of people who at least say that they make some of their money. Not, I don't know what the threshold is, but they make a good percentage of their income playing poker, betting sports, betting the horses. When does an amateur gambler get to say, well, no, actually, I'm a professional?
0: Well, this is something that's been very controversial with the IRS for many years, in fact, for many years until 1987, the IRS said there was no such thing as a professional gambler. And there was a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court did hold there could be a professional gambler. And basically, to be a professional gambler, you have to do it full-time. You've got to do it full-time. You can't really can't have any other job that you do. And it's helpful if you also win, at least for you know, a know. years, a few years you don't have to win that every year but you have to have some winning years if you lose year after year after year it was hard to convince you that you're really a professional
4: so but in other words if somebody... you've got to
0: do it full-time you can't be a part-time gambler and, and claim to be a professional
4: ok there is at least,
0: at least 35 hours a week something like that uh, I see. 35 to 40 hours a week you have to work at it like you were a regular job
4: we're going to take a quick break then we'll be right back
1: Attention, taxpayers. If you've received a notice from the IRS or state, do not ignore it. It's also a big mistake to try and handle your tax problem on your own. If you owe back taxes, it's a fact that the government has the power to take everything you own, including your home, business, wages, savings, and your freedom. But here's the good news. There's a special toll-free tax hotline set up especially for you. This tax hotline will tell you about new programs that are geared to help you dramatically settle, reduce, or eliminate what you owe. But you have to call now. Take down this number or put it in your cell phone. But call 1-866-577-4680. That's one 1-866-5- 866 577-4680. When you call, you get free information on how you can reduce or eliminate back taxes, including penalties and interest. You can also be helped if you have unfiled returns, a tax lien, wage garnishment, bank levy, or if you've been entered into a payment plan but can't make the payments. Don't make the big mistake in thinking you can ignore or handle your tax problem on your own. You can stop the collection process immediately. Call this special tax hotline today for free info at 1-866-577-4680. That's 1-866-577-4680. 1-866-577-4680.
5: You're listening to the House of Cards. The way I see it, poker's like some kind of cosmic metaphor. It's like even though the cards fall in a random order that you can't possibly predict,
4: you can still beat them. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. By the way, I'm speaking to tax expert Stephen Fishman, an attorney who knows of what he speaks. He's published 20 books, many, many articles, hundreds of articles perhaps on the subject of taxes, especially for small business, and has just written all in against the IRS Every Gambler's Tax Guide, second edition, by the way. Now there's a relatively small universe of people who are in my situation. I have a day job, that's where I make most of my money. And then I have like a side business, and my business includes writing about poker, um, talking about poker on the radio. I've written books, I've written articles, I run poker tournaments, and I play poker profitably every year. Can I do a uh, independent business addendum to my taxes? I think Schedule well, C. If-
0: since you're not doing you, being a you know, you can be a writer or a, a writer part-time, and that that can be an independent business, but the IRS really does not like professional gamblers. That's something they really dislike. And if you're not, you're doing other things and you're only gambling part-time and you get audited, there's a good chance you're going to have problems with the IRS. Of course, today, very few people get audited. We're, we're seeing the number of audits decline drastically, so you may be fine but if you are audited that's something the auditor would very well question that you' you really are a professional gambler if you're doing other work and you're not gambling full time
4: I see but I could see.
0: Say- I looked at every case on this and every case says you have to gamble full-time at least at least a minimum of 30 40 hours a week interesting I list all I list all these examples in my book I have a little chapter on Gamblers.
4: Okay, so if somebody is uh, driving and flying all over the world playing poker, but it's not adding up to thirty hours a week, they can't deduct their expenses to and from the poker room.
0: No, you can't. You cannot. That is correct. See, all you can do is deduct
4: your losses. Up now, what about? Well, that's a whole other matter. Very interesting. Other interesting anomalies in the law that somebody who plays a lot of poker should know about.
0: Well. um, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, because you uh, you have to list all your winnings on your tax return, that will increase your adjusted gross income, and you have to list them even if your, your losses are equal to you or exceed your winnings. You still have to list your winnings at, on your return as part of your income, and that will increase your total adjusted income, which will affect other aspects of your tax situation. For example, you could lose... Uh, the ability to deduct uh, certain items because your adjusted income is so high. For example, you can only deduct medical expenses that exceed 10% of your adjusted gross income. So the higher your AGI, the harder it will be to deduct those, those expenses.
4: But your adjusted, so, uh, doesn't your adjusted gross also incorporate in your losses? No, it doesn't. So no, your adjusted gross is your poker winnings before you have deducted your poker losses.
0: exactly. That's that's something very few people realize, and it's something that can be very cruel, a very cruel result for many people, especially poor people. Uh, For example, there was one case where a woman who was getting the earned income tax credit, Uh, she lost the credit. The IRS took the credit away from her because she had $9,000 in gambling winnings one year, although her losses were at least that high. But the way it worked technically, she had or adjusted gross income was too high to get this credit. So it can be a very cool result. It could also, if you're retiring against Social Security, the adjusted gross income will increase your your income for Social Security tax purposes, and you may end up having to pay tax on your, part of your Social Security income. So huh. This is one way tax gamblers are really treated very, very unfairly by the tax law, in my opinion.
4: Well, you're making me think that, you know, what What a lot of people do may make the most sense, which is to say, nah. well, let me ask you, at what point, and, and I realize maybe you can only give the completely straight answer, but at what point does somebody have to say, yeah, I win, you know, maybe I won $35 in a home poker game. I'm not going to declare yeah. my $35 as income, but I won $350,000 in a poker tournament. I better damn well declare that. Yeah. What's the line for you?
0: I'll, I'll give you the real answer, not the straight answer. Is that the IRS doesn't care about the thirty-five dollars you won in the poker game. Don't worry about it, that kind of stuff.
4: What do they care about? We,
0: they when care do they really start yet. caring? The one, one you really need to care about is if you win enough to have your winnings reported to the IRS by the casino or the other gambling establishment. If you win a certain amount, they have to uh, the casino will have to report it on a WT two G form. Will report it to the IRS. And this is when people get in trouble with IRS is when they have the, those forms going into the IRS reporting their winnings and they don't uh, list that as income on their return. This is when most people have problems.
4: Ah, so this is very interesting because I've spoken now. You're about the eighth tax person. I think you are the most expert if you can have degrees of expertise. You are the best credentialed of all the people. But each person I've spoken to has given a very different answer to that, and it's actually come full circle. I thought I should declare everything, just be meticulous, have a separate business. I write. I do all this other stuff, and I play poker, add it all up, uh, subtract all the losses, subtract all the expenses, and submit a Schedule C or whatever they call it with the taxes as a kind of independent contractor, writer, radio show host, and poker player then i'm hearing you and it was you know a few thousand dollars maybe 10 maybe 20 maybe 30,000 total with all the writing and everything now i'm listening to you and i'm thinking you know what what those guys said to me in the poker room made the most sense and now i'm thinking they were right which is you know what if you're not winning so much that they're withholding forget about it don't worry about it don't make such a big deal just pocket it and don't worry about it don't talk about it a lot And I'm thinking that's probably what I should be doing because I have a feeling, based on what you've told me, not a feeling, I'm doing it all wrong. I'm declaring every penny. I'm deducting every penny, including expenses, from all my income.
0: You're, You're doing what you should do. You're doing what IRS wants you to do. And what you're doing, if you're ever audited by IRS, you will have no problems at all with the IRS or anybody else. You're behaving perfectly. But most people aren't as uh as good as you uh they don't they don't want to do all that, those things and
4: uh, well what about realizes yes realizes
0: that when uh they don't they realize most people don't keep rec- very good records of their winnings and losses and they don't keep records of you know specifically when they win 50 bucks at a poker game or anything something and they don't really expect you know, to pay tax on that but they're but when you do get these large winnings and, they, and it's reported to the IRS, they do expect you to report that as income.
4: Mm-hmm. What and about guys course, that play on the Internet? Do they have to be especially cautious, or is it the same rules for them in the same the way? the exact same rules. Yeah.
0: Internet or uh, in real and physical casinos, the same rules are exactly the same. What do you
4: recommend – and this is, you know, a legal question – Let's say I, like a lot of guys, I, I don't do this, but I might, bet illegally through a bookie. I bet sports. I bet thousands of dollars a week in sports, and I had a bonanza this year. I actually ended up at the end of the year winning $100,000. Do you recommend to people that do that kind of gambling, you know, you better declare that money, or do you say...
0: <laughs> well, you, legally you're supposed to declare it. And I, by the way, illegal, the IRS will not report you the to the... Uh, to the- Police, if you're doing illegal gambling, that's not something they do. But you are supposed to report on your return. Of course, the bookie is not going to file anything with the IRS. So <laughs> that's for sure. The only way the IRS, if you get i if you get audited by IRS and they start looking into your your bank accounts, and they see all this money there, and they wonder where you got all this money. Uh, you could have problems with the IRS if you don't don't declare it. In the real world. I would expect very, very few people ever report money they win from bookies. I would, I would expect that number's almost zero.
4: It's probably as low as the number of people that report <laughs> their profits selling cocaine.
0: Right, exactly.
4: <laughs> so do you have, we have a couple minutes left. Do you have sure. any interesting gambling tax story or stories you'd like to share with our audience?
0: Well, the, thing I, the most important thing I like to tell the audience is the most important thing you have to do is, is keep track. Keep some kind of record of your winnings and losses. Uh, I have a de- detailed uh, guide on this in my book. It may be too much. If that's too much for a few, keep, keep something every day. Try to keep some kind of record.
4: I see you what your gambling log thing. is. I'll read it to our listeners. It's actually yeah. very simple. It says date, time, location, game what it is you were playing net win net loss yeah. then you have w2gs that means i guess if you had to fill out paperwork yeah. because uh-huh. and accompanied by that's something i've never written down in other words who's there right. as a witness to the fact right. that you did what you wrote you did
0: yeah if you keep that if you keep that kind of log you'll not only will that help you if i ever audits you let you know how much you've actually won or lost during the year otherwise how will you know
4: very good suggestion. Uh, I recommend that to all poker players for just that reason. People should keep track so that they can see how they're doing. I have a friend who keeps track of his wins and losses, but not his hours of play. And I always say, well, how do you know what your hourly win rate is? Mm-hmm. I always suggest that. Well, this is very good. Do you, by the way, do you gamble? Do you play poker? Do you do any other kind of gambling? I don't
0: do poker, but I do casino uh, gambling.
4: What's your game? Blackjack. Ah, uh, can you count cards? No. No. <laughs> no. Then you don't have to worry about long-term gains. I'm
0: not, I'm not really that good at math. There's not really much math in taxes. not as much as people imagine.
4: Well, just arithmetic, I guess.
0: Yeah, just basic arithmetic.
4: Well, Stephen, we've really enjoyed having you on. And uh, how do people get a hold of your book?
0: It's on Amazon.
4: So it's called All In Against the IRS, Every Gambler's Tax Guide, second edition, Stephen Fishman, J.D. Just in case you didn't know that he was a lawyer, he is a lawyer. It's pipsqueak press is that a self-published uh, line yes it is cool pipsqueak press well thank you for coming on you've helped me thank you very much all right listeners we will be back after a very quick pause
5: Hey, this is Dave Weishato from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of March 16, 2015. Well, it looks like the Trump name will still be part of Atlantic City. In an agreement between Carl Icahn and Donald Trump last week, Trump's name will remain on the Taj Mahal Casino. A Trump spokesperson said the deal with Icahn allows the company to retain the rights to monitor the upkeep of the casino. The agreement also requires that Trump remove the name from the closed Trump Plaza Casino. Las Vegas-based MGM is set to break ground on their Massachusetts Casino Project. The company has given a March 24th date for the groundbreaking of the casino to be built in Springfield, Massachusetts. The $800 million casino will have 3,000 slot machines, 75 gaming tables, and a 250-room hotel. MGM hopes to open the casino in late 2017. And finally, it's time for NCAA's March Madness again, and this year it's making some bookmakers sweat. University of Kentucky men's basketball team's potential undefeated season could lead to some big losses for sportsbook operator William Hill. Before the season, they took bets at fifty to one odds on whether Kentucky can go undefeated. As the season went on, those odds eventually came down to even money. Right now, it's not looking too good for the bookmakers. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom@houseofcardsradio.com at and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards. Man, is it cold out. But that's not going to stop me from having fun and winning some cash on nj.partypoker.com. Why would you want to get in your car and drive to Atlantic City or Pennsylvania, pay for gas, pay for parking, fight the crowds, when you can play the same games at home? If you're 21 and in New Jersey, go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up using the promo code HOC. Start playing and start winning some cash. It's that easy. Go to nj.partypoker.com and sign up today with promo code HOC. You're listening to the House of Cards. Do you know what a straight flush is?
1: It's like unbeatable. Like unbeatable is not unbeatable. Hey, I know that now.
4: Welcome back, everyone. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. You know... All across the United States, Canada, it has been cold and horribly snowy, but it's just about when it's at its worst that this wonderfully warming sensation comes over me when we have Seth Polanski coming on the show to talk about the World Series of Poker. Nothing says summer like thinking about the World Series of Poker, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next 15 minutes or so. Seth, are you there?
2: Wow. I mean, you should be working for Hallmark, Ashley. I mean, you...
4: <laughs> That would be a step down from House <laughs> of Cards. Are you kidding? No, but truly, when I talk to you about the World Series, all the snow melts in my mind and all I can think about is 100-degree days outside the Rio and how much I can't wait to get inside where it's lovely and cool and refreshing and there's poker everywhere. Uh, it's just a dream come true, and you're going to fill us in on what is great about this year's World Series of Pogo. You were on not that long ago talking about the, kind of the big picture, but now you got the whole schedule. So why don't you talk about uh, what's different this year and what's the same this year as uh, last year?
2: Yeah, it's a really, really exciting schedule this year. I don't know. Uh, our creative juices must have been flowing, not mine, but the, the team here, Ty Stewart and Jack Ethel, and the gang that really put this thing together. So we've really turned over a lot. There's 10 new events. Uh, on the schedule this year, some like you know exciting, interesting, different events like uh, a 90-minute level, $1,500 buy-in, no limit hold'em instead of the typical 60-minute uh, turbo, which some people like two days to finish an event. Um, you know, of course, the Colossus to open things up. People have been talking about nonstop. Our our first time in 35 years having a 500. Dollar price point for an event, and we've attached a $5 million guaranteed prize pool on it. So we anticipate that will be the largest live poker tournament ever held. Um, so throughout the schedule, I think um, it's been summed up really well by people who've seen the schedule thus far. There's something for everyone this year.
4: Along those lines, my producers who live in New Jersey and who actually are some of the very few in the United States who can play online, those in Delaware and Nevada being the other two states, they are intrigued and they want me to ask you about the online, in-person kind of hybrid event. Tell us about that.
2: All right, yeah, so the first time ever, uh, one of the 68 bracelet events on the summer will be an online bracelet being contested uh, via WSOP.com online on July 2nd. Now, you will have to be in the state of Nevada to participate in that event. So it's no different, really, than any of the other events on the schedule where you actually have to physically be at the Rio to participate. This one, you can be anywhere in Nevada. But we weren't able, regulatory-wise, there's no shared liquidity of New Jersey and Nevada, so we can't offer that to our New Jersey customers. But anyone out for the WSOP or out in Vegas or Reno or anywhere else in Nevada on July 2nd can play in the online portion of the event. We'll actually play down uh, to six-handed now, and the final six players will come back live at the Rio, put them on a live poker table, and uh, finish the event out in person uh, for the bracelet.
4: Do they finish it the next day, or do they finish it sometime later?
2: We're actually going to put a two-day window in there in case we do have someone... uh, up from say Reno or or somewhere Lake Tahoe or somewhere six eight hours away and potentially getting a flight and all that stuff in time for the next day. So um, so they play one day on, pause.
4: So you play on July second. So it's a one day start July second and you play all day online and until you get busted out or until you make the final six then you're off on the third, then you come in person to the Rio for a final six table, and you play it out live until there's a winner. Correct. Wow.
2: And just like every other bracelet winner, you know, you hopefully stick around and uh, have the bracelet ceremony and uh, and celebrate and uh, all that right there.
4: I think that's the first of its kind. I Certainly the first bracelet event that started online, and maybe is it the first World Series of Poker event that had an online component.
2: It definitely is, yes. And, uh, I mean, ideally, uh, in, a, in a day, hopefully not in the too distant future, the entire United States is playing online poker again and could participate in this event. And a uh, day not further along than that, that the world is all connected again playing online poker and that we can really, you know, contest some bracelets online. It's, it's certainly a, a form of poker that some people only play exclusively these days. It's uh, now a 15-year-old industry, Uh, in a lot of ways, and we felt it was time that it had its place uh, on the schedule of the World Series of Poker.
4: Okay, I want to ask about some of the other specific events. Are you having a ladies' event, and when is that?
2: We are. Just because your name's Ashley, you're not eligible.
4: (laughs) Well, I am eligible, but I have to pay (laughs) ten times as much as a woman, right?
2: That is correct. That is correct. That will be Friday, June 26th this year, and uh, it is the same uh, three-day event 1,000 entry fee for ladies, 10,000 for the men.
4: <laughs> By the way, just out of curiosity, did you have any men that ponied up 10 times as much as a woman?
2: We have not in two <laughs> years, and uh, that is the way we like it.
4: When is the seniors?
2: The seniors, and we've added something there. Uh, the seniors will be a week in front of the ladies on Friday, June 19th. So that uh, is a typical thing. We've had 4,500 plus for several years now. It's a huge, huge event. You must be 50 years or older for that one on Friday, June 19th, at a nice senior-friendly 10 a.m. start time. And then we come back to <laughs> early bird later.
4: special. If you get there by nine, they take 10 percent off of the entry fee, right?
2: It's funny you say that. Some of these seniors want us to start at 7 (laughs) a.m., but uh, we can't find any dealers who will be awake to deal at that hour. So we have to keep it at uh, 10 a.m., but two days later on Sunday, June 21st, for the first time ever, we're having a Super Seniors No limit Hold'em for age 65 and older. Because we have so many people for the Seniors event now, we felt it was right to add an additional event in close proximity to the original seniors event. And we'll give this for those uh, that don't like playing with the young seniors, but prefer the 65 and older crowd.
4: Well, I know that you said that it has great proximity to the senior event, but what you need for the super senior event is proximity to the bathrooms. That's the the key. You want to make sure you have it over by the left side of the Amazon room so that people don't have to go too far when they have to go. Um, I want to... Focus back on the Colossus. It's a first of its kind, at least first in many, many years, $500 event. Is it a three-day event, or is it more than three days?
2: It will take four days to play. Um, it, it's a two-day start, too. So depending on whether you start on the Friday or Saturday, um, you know, we expect the final table to be contested on Tuesday. Uh, which would be June 2nd, and the event technically starts on Friday, May 29th.
4: But a player is free to say, I want to start on Saturday, right?
2: That's correct. There's four starting flights 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Friday, May 29th, and the same times 10 and 6 on Saturday. Um, we expect an absolutely huge turnout for this event. We have never in the history of World Series of Poker seen this much interest and in activity related to room reservations and pre-registration and just general reach-out for questions and information regarding Oh, absolutely.
4: That. Why wouldn't you enter? I mean, even I, and I, I tend to only enter stud events, but even I, I've got to enter the Colossus, $500. Geez, you know, you could lose that in an hour at a one-two table. Uh, why not do it and get some glory or... or Approach to glory, the chance of winning a bracelet at the World Series of Poker for just a five spot—I mean, that's that's chump change for most poker players. I'm not saying it's an insignificant amount of money, but there's a what's the guarantee?
2: A five million dollar <laughs> guarantee on this event. Oh my so, god! And the honest truth is, I mean, some of us—and I'm considered the pessimist around here—but I see this event topping twenty thousand entrants, not to difficult
4: Right. Well, uh, that's, I I can't wait. I can't wait for that. And then I have, I have two other big questions and then I have a couple of small ones. First of all, rooms, uh, Harris has Caesars has so many properties. What's the range of prices? Can I actually reserve something for under a hundred dollars a night?
2: Oh yes. There's plenty of, uh, uh, properties that we're offering rates that low. Um, you know, Rio starts at sixty six bucks a night, uh, Bally's forty five bucks a night, Flamingo fifty five bucks a night, Hera's forty two bucks a night, Caesars Palace just one hundred and twenty dollars a night. And these um, plan Hollywood, I mean we've got a full range. You can really W S O P dot com slash reservations. And we'll take you and show you our pricing, and you can put in your dates and figure out exactly.
4: And and because people will mention House of Cards, you can waive the resort fee, right?
2: If you mention House of Cards, uh, all resort fees get charged to Ashley Adams.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so we've talked about the tournaments. There are tons of bracelet events. But you also have other stuff going on. And I'd like people to hear this because... This is as close as any poker player is going to come to a poker convention. Tell our, our audience what other stuff goes on other than the
2: bracelet events. Yeah, I mean, this is the Woodstock for poker, and sorry for the younger viewers. Maybe this is the, um, <laughs> what's that, the... Uh,
4: Lollapalooza? No, the uh, what's that other event that they have? Doug, help me out here. What's the other
2: big the event? The Young Kids uh, Electric Daisy Carnival. For poker. Is that right? I don't know what
4: the heck that is, but <laughs> okay. Big All event. Right. What, so tell us what else goes on.
2: So we have three daily deep stack tournaments. These are one-day structured tournaments. They are not bracelet events. They range in price from $135 to $235, and we're getting 1,500 people in these events uh, every day. And you're walking away with you know a two hundred thirty five dollar investment. The winner's winning like fifty or sixty thousand dollars the same day. Um, it's crazy. So this is happening. There's single table satellites. There's mega satellites. There's hundred tables of cash games typically going strong. Um, so the World Series of Poker. You're right, Ashley. It's every buy-in level. Satellites start at seventy five bucks and up. Cash game started one two. So you could be playing whatever you prefer, whatever the variant of poker, the buy-in level, the length of time, um, from seventy-five dollars up to our highest buy-in this year, one hundred eleven thousand, one hundred eleven bucks for the uh, high roller event we have this year.
4: What's the what's the biggest high roller event? How much is it?
2: One hundred eleven thousand, one hundred eleven dollars.
4: And you also have some other little variant, like uh, one thousand one hundred and eleven. Is that right?
2: That's correct. That's the little one for one drop, and the other ones, the high roller for one drop, where we work with our charitable partner, uh, the One Drop organization, which is doing great work, and um, we have that little charitable component where where players can help.
4: Well, Seth, as cost. always, I love hearing about it. It definitely warms the cockles of my heart, even in the midst of a very deep uh, blizzard-prone winter. I appreciate you coming on, and I'm looking forward to seeing you, and it's not that long from now. I'll be out there in Las Vegas at the Rio for the World Series of Poker. Thanks for joining us, Seth.
2: Sounds good. Always a pleasure to be on the House of Cards, Ashley.
4: Okay, take care. Listeners, we will be back after a quick pause.
2: Yes. When one is outmatched, the game is over Checkmate But chess, Mr. Spock
5: Poker Do you know the game? A very interesting game, this
4: poker It does have advantages over chess Love to teach it
5: to you You're listening to the House of Cards.
4: Hey, everybody. It's Ashley Adams. Welcome to House of Cards again. I'm here in the studio for the mailbag segment with my co-producer, Dave Weishadl. Handsome Dave Weishadl. Thank you.
5: So yeah. what do we have this good week? good poker nickname, Handsome Dave. <laughs> that's so, right.
4: Uh, and absolutely. I Why don't, am I laughing? That's not funny. I don't know. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's radio laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, it's about 5.05 here in New York City. <laughs> so what do we have, Dave? Uh, don't
5: forget, anyone has a question for the mailbag, you can email us at info at houseofcardsradio.com. You can tweet at us at H-O-C Radio. Or leave a message or text on the House of Cards hotline, 609 474 HOCR. That's 609 474 4627. Laugh now. What's that uh, number again, Dave? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that number is... uh, Hey, what's six... that number again? Oh, that's 609 474 4627. 4627. <laughs> okay, what do we got? Uh, we're going to international now. Okay. Carlos from Sao Paulo, Brazil. He listens to us on. Using iTunes. He wants to know what is the best strategy for the end game on tournaments after the money bubble and before the final table. I know it will differ if the tournament is slow, medium, or fast, but some considerations on this topic I think would be helpful.
4: What is the best strategy for the end game after the money bubble but before the final table? Yes. I have no <laughs> effing clue. I no, cause I, no, I mean, You obviously, it depends on the structure, how quickly you're moving up the steps. Okay. Uh, And it depends on your personal goals. I mean, if it's the first time you've made the money and you're thinking, well, let's just go for broke and you're throwing your money. I've always been one to kind of laugh about changing your strategy based on the stage you're in the tournament. Obviously, you want to make the money because it's an infinite difference between making the money and not making the money. Mm -hmm. but I don't have mega uh, strategic considerations other than the most obvious stuff. You know, you play your best game. You read your opponents. Uh, The structure is going to determine how aggressive you're playing. Uh, Your chip stack relative to everybody else uh, is going to determine your strategy. The cards that you're dealt, the cards you think your opponents have. There are so many small things that to give well you want to
5: play tight but not as tight as you would have normally played except uh, i i can't do that so tournaments are really personal to the individual player i mean i i you i've seen people change i I played the garden state super series and i know the eighth round i got to and it was that's when the annies kicked in so you kind of change it around and you know you you might want to let hey if Another guy is going to knock someone else out at the table. I'm not going to get in his way, so let him right. do it. I so guess
4: here's a strategy consideration. A lot of players, and you, if you're a good player, you may be able to figure out which ones are satisfied in making the money, especially in a really big tournament. Yeah, and so once the money bubble is reached, a lot of players now are just playing very inattentively to. Uh, they're not as careful as they were. They've made the money, they're gonna shove, they're gonna see if they can double up, and they don't really care because they've achieved their goal. You want to not get buffaloed by those players, but also be aware that you're shoving, you're not gonna be able to bluff them in the same way as you might have been able to bluff them before the money bubble. Yeah. Because they, you know, they're in a gambling mood. <laughs> so you gotta be aware of that. And then there are other players who like you might be looking for those players that are playing that way. And maybe you can take advantage of their cautiousness because they realize that some players are just gambling to see if they can move up quickly because now they've reached their goal. What do they care? Um, so
5: that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. Is, we're getting into spring now. Is this the tournament season for most poker players? I know there's the Borgata Spring Open coming up, and I know the big one is the World Series of Poker. Do do you see more people joining tournaments just to get ready to go to the World Series? Or, no. no. It's Tournaments...
4: No, first of all, the World Series of Poker is in July, June, July, end of May, June, July. But don't you want to work your way up to it? Eh, I don't know. (laughs) I think there are big tournaments at Foxwoods. There are big tournaments in AC. There are a few a year everywhere. Um, I think it's very dependent on your schedule uh, for the player who's not a full-time pro. He's going to enter a tournament if it's good for his schedule in the winter and maybe in the spring and maybe before the World Series and maybe the World Series. Uh-huh. So I don't think you can draw any generalizations uh, about that. I know Foxwoods is gearing up for a couple of big ones. Uh, I was down in Delaware. I was down in the ho- – was it the Horseshoe that was is saying – Horseshoe
5: Baltimore? Horseshoe Baltimore,
4: Baltimore, and they were saying, oh, geez, you're too bad." I was there last week. Too bad you can't come next week because we have our big tournament starting. So – That's what I pay attention to. Okay, that'll do it, Uh, everybody. We're going to be back next week. Stay tuned. Um, Come back then, and uh, good day, and good luck.